0: today with Jeremy Van Vake in Fokino Commies on Cape Talk
1: all the way through until 12 o'clock. We're having loads of fun in studio. We want you to be a part of it. So uh, give us a call, 21 567 As usual, we are joined by the naked scientist, Dr. Chris Smith. And uh, he answers all your science questions, even the wacky ones. Now, I've never heard someone know. I ne- I've never known someone who knows so much about everything. And <laughs> that is not a lie. Uh, Chris, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. How oh, are you? You're obviously
0: less popular than I thought you were then, Joe. Me. Yeah, I'm good. I'm all right. How are you?
1: <laughs> I'm well, I'm well. We have beautiful weather in the mother city, so I have no complaints.
0: Okay, don't rub and, this uh, in, because we, you know, obviously we're sliding into winter now, I know, and I know. Um, we're all very worried about that, because of course with winter comes the usual seasonal suspects, the lineup of nasties and lurgies that come and assail us uh-huh. uh, flu, and now we've got coronaviruses on top of that, so everyone's hunkering down, look, waiting for the, the long winter, and of course the one thing we can't do this year so easily... Is to go and seek out some sun, because my solution, yep. my clever solution, was always to uh, get all these gigs in the southern hemisphere over winter time, and then fly to Australia or go to South Africa. Right, <laughs> go and go and make some make some vitamin D. No chance of that this year. <laughs>
1: Chris, actually talking about vitamin D. So I've noticed that the, the doctors are upping the dosage of vitamin D, especially for elderly patients in the state hospital in the public health system. So what my uncle gets is <clears throat> he's in the public health system. And he's in his his 70s. And what I've noticed the doctors do for the past two months is they prescribe a very high dose. I think it's calciferol or something of vitamin D. And apparently this has has the ability or it helps stop you being infected from the coronavirus, but also helps with other ailments. Is that true?
0: Well, people are certainly looking at this. And if you look at the list of drugs that Donald Trump was given when he was admitted with coronavirus in recent weeks on that list is vitamin D. Interestingly, not on that list is hydroxychloroquine, the drug that he'd previously thought was was extremely valuable. (laughs) But um, actually proper clinical data have now been brought to bear to prove what does work and what doesn't work. And people are still exploring this. Vitamin D is certainly a very useful mediator and signal in the body for a range of different things. It does control blood calcium levels, and one must be very careful with vitamin D supplements because we do see elderly people who have been put on vitamin D supplements and artificial forms of vitamin D because they're at risk of things like osteoporosis. And because they're taking this for a long period of time, they end up with levels of vitamin D that become toxic. They actually cause their calcium levels to climb alarmingly. And too high calcium is nearly as bad as too low calcium. So you have to be a bit careful because you can end up furring up bits of your body with calcium that shouldn't be there. So vitamin D can be useful we know that many people in many countries are vitamin d deficient especially Mm -hmm. in countries that have long drawn out winter times like the uk i tested my vitamin d level a few years ago i was really low i was very surprised i eat a very good diet i'm very healthy very very sort of health conscious but it had been winter time and at the end of a long winter when you don't see much sun you don't have the chance to make vitamin d from the sunlight which it does in the skin so you have to rely on dietary supplementation and as a result people do end up quite low in vitamin d in some places it has been linked to immune function and and other autoimmune conditions so people are beginning to think that perhaps it might have a role to play or at least low levels of vitamin d may have a role to play in the severity of coronavirus it's under active investigation there is no clear data yet as to which Mm -hmm. way it lies. But people are looking into this because it may be another one of those things that we could do that will make a difference amazing thank you so much uh, that's uh, Dr. Chris Smith he's the Naked Scientist he's with me
1: until 10 o'clock this morning uh, get those questions in for Chris on 072-567-1567 or give us a call on 021-446-0567 uh, Chris a WhatsApp coming in here from a previous question for, uh, I think it's last week on conscience about the function of the conscious being located in the front lobe of the brain so the, the, the question really is do narcissists have an under Underdeveloped, understimulated frontal lobe as children because most uh, of the behavior is construct or lint. However, when dealing with a narcissist in real life, as, for example, a life partner, are there certain nutrients, foods, activities that can stimulate, reactivate an underdeveloped frontal lobe to decrease narcissism and enable them to grow a conscience?
0: I don't know the answer to this question and I don't think we actually know the answer to this question because I don't think anyone has done a comprehensive study. And if anyone knows the data, do let me know. I don't think anyone's done a comprehensive study where they have found people with different personality types or personality disorders and then subjected them to volumetric brain studies where you put them in a scanner, work out which bits of the brain are overdeveloped and underdeveloped, and then checked that that size... Isn't being uh, or is being reflected in how connected the brain areas are because what we've learned in recent years is it's not just all about size, size is important in terms of different bits of the brain because areas of the brain that are bigger have more nerve cells in them and they can do more processing. But that's no good if they're not connected in the right way to other brain areas. So people are now beginning to do studies where they look at how information flows through the brain from one area to the next this is the connectivity map of the brain and that makes a very big difference as well so if you've got an area that's underdeveloped or appears to be smaller than it should be but it's very richly connected it may well be that compensation has occurred to to keep information flowing the right way so at the moment it's very much we don't know how different personalities map onto different brain structures I don't think anyone does and I don't think the data exist in terms of whether or not you can make a difference here there appears to be a critical window in your brain when you're growing up and when you're a little baby your brain is very plastic and moldable it can change it can be adapted and it does that in response to stimuli so if you grow up in an environment that is very rich and as in its stimulus in terms of its stimulus and in terms of education in terms of love and and sort of emotional nutrition then your brain will develop very differently than an individual who grows up in a very deprived deprived of love deprived of stimulation deprived of education that sort of growing up and when you get to a certain age despite reintroducing some of those things that might have been missing early on you can't get back what you could have had had it been introduced from the get-go, there's a critical window period in the development of the brain, and so as a result, that's why education in young children is so important. Because the brain you have when you're a kiddie is not the brain you have when you're an adult. You don't have that ability again in your life. So we waste that opportunity at our peril. That said, we can always do something, and. People who uh, have certain disorders or people who want to improve in certain things, practice does make perfect. And so helping people to develop strategies that might not put them right, but help them to overcome certain personality problems, traits, things that make their life difficult, emotional issues... They can be helped, and you can learn strategies because the brain is big, it's intelligent, we're an intelligent species, Mm -hmm. so we can use some of our brain power to develop alternative strategies to help us think along the right lines when we do have other problems. Basically, it's a question of if you haven't got the right tool for the job, you can fashion another one to do the job and, and help. So I don't know the direct answer to this question. I don't know if anyone does. But I do know that certainly people can learn what traits in their behavior cause problems. And they can learn to recognize when they might step over the mark. And they can learn how to compensate. And they won't ever perfectly behave, get things right all the time. But they nevertheless can get things wrong less of the time. Amazing.
1: We have a couple of voice notes, Uh, questions for you, Chris. Uh, Let's uh, hear what it is, Joe. Good morning, Jeremy. Um, I just have a question for the Naked Scientist. Uh, we've recently seen sniffer dogs being used to track down um, COVID um, on the clothes of, of patients and so on. I'm just these are always big dogs. I'm just wondering whether little dogs like <laughs> little Maltese and so on can be trained for sniffing out drugs and COVID and medical conditions. It always seems to be the larger dogs. Thank you. It's Sandra here.
0: What a wonderful Thanks, question. Um, yeah. To my knowledge, small dogs do not have a sense of smell that's any less good than bigger dogs. A dog's brain, about a third of it, is devoted to sn- to smell. And that's why dogs are so good. And dogs live in an olfactory world. We live in a visual-dominated world because about a third of our brain size Is devoted just to what we see and decoding it. Dogs, it's the other way around. So they're very much dominated by their sense of smell. And relatively speaking, small dogs also have a very overdeveloped olfactory system and they do have an exquisitely sensitive sense of smell. I think it comes down to trainability, practicability, and the kinds of, of breeds that we know lend themselves very well to being trained being handled and being working dogs, because not all dogs are great working dogs. Small dogs might get tired if they have to walk extremely long distances and sniff lots of people with COVID or lots of suitcases at the airport. Bigger dogs actually engage with that better. They're, they're more receptive to the kind of play training that the handlers use in order to get them doing this sort of thing. So I think it really is a horses for courses type thing to mix up metaphors. I think that the dogs that we have experience of Dogs that we have uh, knowledge of how to train them, how to train them well and how to get them performing, and dogs that like doing that tend to be the breeds that they tend to use also more practical because a big dog is going to get uh, going to find it easier to cover the distance than a, than a smaller dog. Um, not sure if this is entirely true with a pug, though, because pugs have breathing problems for reasons that we've yeah. inflicted upon them. But lovely question, and as far as I know, breed isn't so important, but it's really down to the practical nature of how you use your dog. E- even rats, you could use a rat and, and a mongoose, for example. People are using rats to sniff out landmines because they can smell the... Uh, explosives as they degrade under the ground from the landmine the explosive odors ooze to the surface and the animals can smell them rats also have an exquisitely strong sense of smell so you can use a small light animal like a rat to go sniffing out things and change its behavior where it smells a landmine and you can use that to detect the landmine you wouldn't want to use a big dog because it would set the mine off but a small rat doesn't weigh enough to do that so lots of animals have an excellent sense of smell and and i think it's really down to what's practical for the job
1: uh, your questions for uh, Dr. Chris, the Naked Scientist, 21 or the WhatsApp line 72567 Send us uh, your questions via voice notes and uh, Chris will answer your questions. Rod in Musenberg Good morning, Rod. Uh, good morning, Jeremy. Um, you know, my question is about hearing, you know, as, and good morning, Chris. Morning, Rod. As you know, as one gets older, your hearing de- deteriorates, and particularly in a situation where there are a number of people around and background noise. <clears throat> now, is that because one loses uh, hearing for the higher frequencies? What, what actually causes that?
0: Uh, Rod, th- this is called um, the cocktail party problem, which is that the human ear and the brain is exquisitely good at dissecting out one person's conversation from all of the background hubbub so if you go into a noisy environment it is a feat of incredible evolution that you can concentrate despite this maelstrom of sound energy assailing your ears what the person in front of you or to the side of you or just up there on the stairs is saying and pull out that information from the background hubbub and this is because the auditory system is very fine resolution and it can focus in and tune the organ of hearing, the cochlea, to specific frequencies, but also it tunes into specific patterns. And people have done experiments where, when I'm talking to you, your brain is modelling what I'm saying, and it's anticipating what's going to come next, and where to listen for. And because it knows what I'm expected to say next, it hears those sounds coming in and confirms what it thinks I'm going to say next and therefore it Mm -hmm. makes sense and this is why if you're in a an environment where someone's talking to you in a language with a strong accent or if your hearing isn't quite as good as it used to be it's much harder to predict what's going to come next and then get that information coming in and confirm it the studies that have been done on this, there was a very nice series of studies where uh, people were played a sequence of sounds. Imagine just a blip, 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 blip. And what they did was to insert the odd extra tiny blip into the sequence and asked people if they could tell where a sound wasn't quite right. And because the brain quite quickly tuned in to where you should be hearing blip noises in that pattern, you could tell where the extra blips were coming from. So it comes down to the fact that if your hearing deteriorates, you're already struggling to decode the sounds that are coming in, and then when you're in a noisy environment, it becomes even harder to do this trick, and that's why people then suffer with hearing loss and this cocktail party maelstrom of information that they can't decode so easily as we get older. So it's a mixture of a good acuity of hearing and then the brain predicting what it wants to hear next based on decoding the information and then anticipating it listening for it picking it up and then that makes sense but if you're in a really noisy environment it's already cognitively demanding and then on top of that with a bit of hearing loss it just overwhelms the system and your brain can't work fast enough in order to make it possible
1: Thank you so much for that question, Rod. Uh, we have more questions coming in on 0725671567. Chris, I don't know if this is if this is science or superstition, um, but I'm sure you'll set us right here. The question is, whenever I, I don't know, I don't know how, what to make of this, so Chris. Uh, my left hand always itches before I receive money. Um,
0: Is this superstition or science? Is there any validity? Does this make sense? Well, it does in the sense that um, we know that the nervous system isn't like the wiring in a person's house where one light switch is wired uniquely and specifically to one light bulb. The way the brain is worked out is that pretty much everything is connected to everything else by and large. But some things are much more richly connected to some targets than others, So, if I am going to reach out and take a jar off the shelf, my brain doesn't just turn on the muscles which are in my arm, in my forearm, in my hand and in my fingers to do the reaching and then the pinching manoeuvre to pick up the jar. My brain right. is sending a barrage of messages to mainly the muscles in my arm, forearm, wrist, fingers, but it's also facilitating activity in a lot of other groups of nerve cells which are going to also help and support that movement. So, for instance, it's going to make my back straighter, it's going to shift my weight over my legs to make me stand up straighter, to help me stand on tiptoe and support me while I reach out into an abnormal way, load my body in a strange way and grab that jar. And in the same way that because we've got a brain that's wired up like that, where there are, there are connections that go richly to one area, but there's some less targeted connectivity... In the same way, when certain emotions happen or you anticipate certain things happening, you will also switch on other parts of your body. And you can think of this as almost like a sensory, a synesthesia for money. And synesthesia is when you present certain words or numbers or ask people to think along certain lines they will experience a different sensation in a different modality in their brain. People classically with synesthesia will have colours for certain words. Maybe a day of the week, Monday will be green. And uh, when I say that, people think, I just don't understand what he's talking about. People who have this will know exactly what I mean, because when they see the word Monday, or they hear the word Monday, if they've got this sort of condition, and it can be anything that triggers this, they will also experience a flash of colour in their mind's eye. And, and I suspect that this is a similar sort of thing when a person's thinking and has emotions about, I'm going to get paid, I'm going to get some money, that this also causes that particular bit of miswiring in the brain or whatever that richer right. wiring in the brain that corresponds to that sensation to be recruited. And it's presented to your consciousness. And I think that's oh, probably nice. what's happening in this person. I know somebody who actually uh, worked or used to work for Prime Media and, uh, uh, in Joburg. And she told me that actually when she was uh, worried about something, she would get a funny feeling in her area. So uh, it isn't just your left hand. It can yeah, be any yeah, part of your body. Yeah. So uh, particular yeah. worry or, whatever, or excitement can produce funny <laughs> sensations in all kinds of places. Amazing, amazing.
1: Uh, Chris, another WhatsApp coming in here. Yeah? Hi, Jeremy. What the good doctor uh, left out was the um, the machoism of walking around with a German shepherd, sniffing out drugs oh, of versus course. Yeah. the same cop
0: with a toy bomb. <laughs> it just doesn't bode well um, using a toy bomb. Yeah, pom it's an image to thing. Go yeah. Dangerous. Drug lords' houses. Cheers. <laughs> He's quite right, isn't he? Yeah, there's a, there's a very important image question. Although it would be rather yeah. funny, wouldn't it, to see a cop with a, <laughs> with a tiny little kind of toy poodle or something to, to that? This is, this is my police dog. <laughs> it would be very funny. Um, oh, God. But, but the point i made go. stands physiologically yeah. there's there's yeah. There, are, there are no reasons i think in the olfactory system but i think it's a practical one in terms of the the size the anatomy and the trainability of the animal and its tolerability for the kind of work you're asking it to do very good point thank my, you for that
1: my guest is uh, dr chris smith he's the naked scientist and of course we answer all your science related questions even the wacky ones and we make sense of all of that for you on a friday morning here's another question for you chris Hi, Professor Smith, or Dr. Chris Smith, David, yeah. Um, I'd like to know whether, um, you know, the coronavirus has any sort of impact upon the incidence of, or the increased incidence of susceptibility of type 1 diabetes in children. David, thank you.
0: Hello, David. Uh, the answer is that type 1 diabetes, which is the condition where you lose from your pancreas the beta islet cells, these cells make the hormone insulin and if you lose those cells you can't make any insulin and insulin controls blood sugar so you end up with uh, very high levels of sugar in the blood and the cells in the body can't pick up that sugar so you end up with a person starving effectively with very high blood sugars and there are all kinds of consequences of that and type 1 diabetes is an immune condition and it's where the immune system destroys the insulin secreting cells in the pancreas. This leads you to the question, well, what causes the immune system to do that? And we know that in a proportion of people at least, antecedent, in other words, prior infections, certainly in some cases with viruses, can lead to this happening. And it may well be that the virus that comes in, and we think there are some particular kinds of enterovirus that do this, they will prime the immune system in a susceptible person to regard your own tissue as hostile and destroy it. So we know that in some people with type 1 diabetes, this is an autoimmune condition caused by a prior infection. At the moment, there is not evidence that the new coronavirus is causing type 1 diabetes. That doesn't appear to be the case. It's early days, people are watching this, but it may be the case that type 2 diabetes is linked to the new coronavirus. And I don't mean as in people who've already got type 2 diabetes tend to have a much worse outcome with coronavirus infection. They do. They're more likely to get COVID, which is the severe disease associated with coronavirus infection. But there's evidence now that people, when they catch coronavirus, it doesn't just attack the lungs in a proportion of people. And we don't yet know what proportion, but this becomes a multi-system inflammatory condition. And probably the virus winds up the immune system and the immune system then goes on to attack other tissues. And it seems to cause a a sustained inflammatory state, one feature of which is impaired handling of glucose. And so you see some people who become diabetic or develop diabetic type blood markers in the aftermath of coronavirus infection. We don't know what will happen in the long term to those people, and it's mm. early days, but there may well be that it's, that is occurring, but it's not because the virus has attacked the pancreas per se. It may well be that it's an inflammatory thing provoked by the immune response, and th- this, is be- this is a metabolic syndrome that's kicked in in the aftermath of coronavirus, sure. a bit different from type 1 diabetes.
1: Dr. Chris, uh, we are running out of time. Sadly, we have l- one last caller for you, Jen, in Komiki. Um, You have 30 seconds with the, the Naked Scientist.
0: Um, hi, good morning, Dr. Hi, Jen. Um, just just uh, one quick question. A couple of weeks ago, somebody was asking you about um, why you itch, your skin itches. And I phoned in too late to find out why when you pick up something heavy, And you can't reach your nose, why suddenly do you need to rub your nose and have an itch that you can't reach? I think, Jen, this is a classic example of attaching significance to coincidence, which is that the nine million nine hundred and ninety nine times that you picked up the jug and didn't need to itch your nose, you didn't notice and didn't forget didn't remember. Whereas the one time it happened and it drove you nuts and it made you drop the jug and there was a mess everywhere, and then you got that relief from scratching your nose, you then remember that one, so you think of it as Every time I pick up a jug, my blinking nose itches and I need to scratch it. And so it it is a sort of confirmation bias. You attach significance to something that happened coincidentally and then regard that as the norm when, in fact, it was the exception.
1: We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Chris Smith, uh, the Naked Scientist. Uh, Doc, thank you so much for joining us. You'll be back with us next week, Friday. Have a lovely weekend. Been a
0: pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend and uh, cheers, Jeremy. See you soon. Okay. bye-bye.
1: Dare to Create, a
0: podcast brought to you by Ford. This original podcast series will be taking a unique look at innovation in motorsport.
1: We considered what will make people want to move to electric vehicles faster. We're trying to pull them in with emotion.
0: Chatting to the people helping to craft the future of racing.
1: We believe we can excite customers to move to electric vehicles. That's the key to delivering that carbon neutral
0: commitment by 2050. Listen to Dare to Create across all major podcast platforms now.